Hello and welcome back once again to the Unboxable Unstoppable podcast with me, Elena Turley. This podcast is presented by the Soul Mama Hub and the Soul Mama Academy, a newly created membership coaching community which helps mothers find their way back to themselves so they can be bold custodians of their health, their families and the planet and in doing so, rewrite the future. Now, today I'm very excited to have with me the lovely Dr. Marianne. Dr. Marianne is an incredible woman, first of all, who um, I've loved having a nice connection with over the years since we lived in Bath. She has got also a membership, uh, which is about discovering the key to unlocking your child's potential. And she has a podcast, which I will ask her the name of. It's a brilliant name and I'll get her to say it. And um, Marianne, hello and welcome. Oh, hello, Elena. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Such a pleasure. Can you please tell us in your own words who you are, where you are, what you do? Well, I think first and foremost, I'm a mother to two glorious children who are now sort of grown up and I'm a bit sad. Um, But no, so I'm a mother. um, I'm also a psychologist and a parenting expert. So I help parents um raise confident resilient children in an age where they're bombarded with lots of pressures lots of comparisons and lots of to-dos um so it's about helping parents making them feel confident that they too can raise their confident and resilient children and the podcast that you were talking about was actually my children chose this name and I'll explain very briefly so the podcast is called how not to screw up your kids and I remember toying with the whole idea of what shall I call the podcast. I was talking to the, my children at dinner time, and they just said, Mum, surely every parent ultimately just wants to make sure that they don't screw up their kids. So why don't you just call that the title of your podcast? Total so stroke of genius day. on their part, I believe, <laughs> and on yours to listen to it too. <laughs> That's so great. And and can I ask why it is you do the work that you do? Where, where did this come from, this version of you doing this work? What's that about? And interesting and quite deep. I hadn't, to be honest with you, I hadn't thought about it. I had sort of, I've stumbled into what I did. I left school at 18, um, having failed all of my A-levels, so in, <laughs> in the UK. Um, and I failed them quite spectacularly. You know, I took very academic chemistry, biology and maths, thought I wanted to be a doctor and then failed them spectacularly and went and worked in industry and did really well. Um, but sort of around in my late 20s, I became really interested in psychology from a motivation and a team leading. By that stage, I was managing big teams and I wanted to understand the psychology of teams and how to motivate people. So I went back, gave up a very comfortable corporate job, very comfortable corporate company car, salary, all those other bits and pieces, and became a mature student Wow. Then had my children. So I had my son in the third year of my degree, had my daughter in the second year of my PhD. So I then sort of stumbled. It really ended up coming out the other side and thinking, um, I don't want to have a proper job. I want to work for myself. So that's how, that's the sort of story I've traditionally told about why I've ended up. At this point, our internet connection fell out. But what you missed was that Dr. Marianne discussed how she tragically lost her father extremely suddenly 
at quite a young age. He dropped out of a brain aneurysm. And although she wanted to discuss it and talk about it, her mother, being as she was, of a different era and a different culture, and possibly in an attempt to survive the situation, being left with three children and not ideal English, she didn't want to talk about it. So Dr. Marianne literally went back to school the day after her father died. And then at that point, the internet came back and we continued the interview. Okay, please forgive the interruption. Technological heebie-jeebies going on over here. So please do go on. You were talking about, you went back to school the next day. Your mother didn't want to talk about it, but you did. I did. And I think I just have very vivid memories of always being the one that wanted to instigate conversations. Um, and so I think, and, and obviously we are a product of our upbringing, this sort of idea that we've just got to, you know, brush ourselves off, pick ourselves up crack you know crack on and there's not this sort of discussion around emotions is that I think probably the work that I do is almost to address that younger version of me that didn't have the support now you know very thankfully I touch wood and thank the universe that I was okay I pretty well adjusted kid but for so many that isn't necessarily the case that they get so caught in their own head and their own narrative and what's going on. And if they don't feel heard, it internalizes. Whereas I was always, didn't matter, people didn't hear me. I wanted to talk and talk. So I think, so I feel that that's what drives me is connecting to that child, but more importantly, connecting to the parent who ultimately, I mean, I have the most phenomenal relationship. I feel very blessed to have had that wonderful relationship with my mother, but she did what she thought was right at the time, which was moving on. And it's helping parents understand what is it that your child might need and coming from a space of someone who's been there and who knows, and it's not just about grief, it's it's all sorts of worries and anxieties that come from that. Absolutely. And how difficult was it to give up a job that was fairly successful and a car and like you said, and study and, and change the way you did? Yeah, I think it was it was tough at the beginning. It was, you know, I have very vivid memories. You know, we were newly married at the time and having to sort of live off a very tight budget. I remember going, there was a shop um, near where my husband lived and worked where um, it was like a weigh and save. So I would buy coffee based on a scoop that I knew would last us for the whole week. So it was yeah. by no means were we poor. We and you didn't have kids fortunate. then? You didn't have kids at that point? Um, no, we had we had, we had had our, our eldest in the third year of my degree. So we were still, you know, on that sort of low income. That's but amazing we just, as well. We just managed it. Yeah, isn't that? You got on with it, ironically. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I'm very interested to hear how you've evolved now from – working more directly with people surviving crises into now a more proactive. You were saying the last time we had a chat, you mentioned something to me about how exciting it is to move from a kind of a more, what's the word, I suppose, treating the symptoms of trauma or treating the the results of crisis to now into a more preventative. You said you now would like to, you can say this in your own words, what's the difference between what you were doing and what you are doing now? Yeah, I think it's just shifting from sort of what, what I call when the wheels fall off <clears throat> to actually making sure that we build a stable cart, car, 
building so that actually we don't have that. And what I found anecdotally, but it's it's been going on for years. I've been working with sort of children for a good, you know, 20 years in some in that sort of capacity and families is that when you look at when you look at it there's always a sort of a bit of a when you trace back where some of the challenges come in came in it's normally around the age of about seven or eight so my view is that yeah completely so if we are able to go right back at the beginning and almost you know I'd love to be able to give parents the tools almost antenatally before they've even got their baby. And it's not, I want to stress, it's not that I think that as parents we're responsible for the problems. I think that quite often we don't, we don't always realise that there's so much we can do around our children's emotional development and giving them tools and strategies very, very young in the same way as we help them learn to ride a bike and we help them to swim and to learn to read and write. Yes. But if we've got that knowledge and we know that what we can do right from the beginning about validating their emotions, helping them understand how these things show up in their body, articulating their needs, building their toolkit, then my view is that we can then hopefully change that tide. I mean, I don't know what it's like yes. in Australia, but in the UK, we've got one in six children with a probable diagnosable mental health issue. Oh, that's it's scary statistics. Really full on. And I think the thing that interests me from the perspective of a parent who, and, and just touching on what you were just saying, intellectually and also intuitively, I completely agree and understand um, what you're saying and agree with you that if we can equip our children with the tools, with the, with the abilities like we would a teaching them to ride a bike, um, then they are going to be able to be so much more resilient in their lives. But in the moment, although I believe that and agree with that, in the moment, for example, at the moment, my daughter is quite anxious about, I think there's a few things going on, okay? She's eight. So the the age, just past the age you're talking about, things start to get more complex. And developmentally, I said the word Piaget before when you were speaking because just in my very cursory, I did two years of psychology at university, I've got a very cursory understanding of development. And I know that there are stages of development that are fairly universal to human beings mm. and children as they grow. And one of the things that in, in crude words that happens seven and above is um, developmentally the brain is changing and becoming more complex, taking in more information. The perspective changes very much and we go to a more sort of rational, you know, rational in inverted commas, but we mm. start thinking more basically, I guess, is the way to say it. So um, what I've noticed with my daughter, and we are coming out of lockdown going back to school soon, so there's there's that. She's always had, I guess, a fair degree of anxiety. She, I don't think she shows it particularly much socially or – but she's always – she sometimes, you know, especially over the last few months, hasn't wanted to leave home. Um, she asked me yesterday, Mummy, why do bad things happen? And, you know, she's – She's clearly deeply considering some things and often before bed she'll talk us through things that she's thinking about. She was asking questions about our family history the other day, you know, where do I come from? Where's my name come from? Where does our family come from? How do we get here? You know, deep questions all coming out. And I talk with her and listen as much as possible. But I guess what I'm getting around to in a very long-winded way is I absolutely agree with the concept and am mostly able to follow the concept of being able to 
negotiate big, strong emotions and help my daughter tool up for life through those moments. But there are times where through her anxiety or her anger or her helplessness or whatever big emotion she's having, she becomes unruly, rude, disrespectful, you know, she goes beyond. And again, I can handle that for a while because I know it's an expression of something else that's going on for her. But after, say, three hours of it or a day of it or it's almost like abusive language, she's not, you know, mm. openly abusive, but it's it becomes almost like it, go, it crosses a line. So this is the thing that interests me and I know what I would say to parents. I would love to hear what you say to parents when that, that is going on. What's your response to that situation? I think it's this... I talk about this idea about a seesaw because I think quite often as parents, in particularly in those moments, so I think that I think there's a, a lot of complex bits that's going on. I think one of the biggest things that I would say, I guess the biggest sort of overarching thing is, first of all, it is that whole concept of self-care. I think so often as parents, we don't always respond at our best when we haven't taken care of ourselves. So just at the absolute basic level, when it comes to parenting, we have to make sure that we've taken care of ourselves first and foremost. We are that top 100%. of that list because actually we we cannot meet our children's needs if we have not yet met our own. So at totally the basic agree. level. Yeah. My most recent it, parenting workshop was all about actually parents and understanding themselves. You know, it's about how and it's, what are we yeah, doing? And it's what are we bringing? And it is, it's, it's that taking care of ourselves, but also understanding how our child's moment might be triggering things in us too, that we bring, you know, if our child's struggling with their emotions, maybe it takes us back to a place, you know, our eight-year-old self, 11-year-old self. If our child is struggling with friendships, it takes us right back to being seven in the playground and not being asked to play. All of those things. So there's that aspect of it. But I think what's really important as well is then to, it's this idea that I call of the seesaw. So when our child is in a given situation, in a given moment, there's two aspects to their seesaw. There's what they perceive are the demands being placed on them by that situation. And on the, on the other side, it's what they perceive are the resources within themselves to manage that situation. When our children are confident, happy, cheerful, empowered, resilient, that seesaw is in balance. What happens when our children feel overwhelmed, they don't feel confident, they feel stressed, they feel anxious, they feel emotional, the seesaw has tipped. And what they perceive the demands being placed on them by that situation are far outweighed than what they perceive the resources they have to deal with them. And the key aspect to all of this that we have to remember as parents is perception. It's not what we think they're capable of. It's not what we think in that moment they should do, but how that child in that moment sees the situation. So it's about our self-care, but it's also about meeting our child where they're at in that moment and then responding. And it's the two bits to it. It's mm. the in that moment when they're overwhelmed, yeah. They're not thinking with their logical brain. They're no. in limbic, primitive survival Absolutely. mode. Yeah. Let's so just help them feel safe in that moment and then Absolutely. let's go back and revisit. And again, I agree with you. So how 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 would you advise parents do that? So in those in those big moments, it really the what your child needs to know in that moment is I hear you, I see you, you're safe. 
Yes. And that is it in whatever language and whatever language and whatever physical things that you mm. need to do. So some children in that moment just need to hear. I can see that you are feeling monumentally overwhelmed. I can see that right now you are so angry with me. I've asked you to do something. Yes. You don't see why you should be doing. It's not fair. When you're older, I'm sure you're never going to do that. I I hear you. I see you. I understand. And I'm here for you in whatever you need. And for some children, it might be a hug. For some children, it might be just giving them space and time to work it through. Yes. But what it absolutely is not, and we get sucked into it by accident, we do it from love, is minimizing. I don't understand. You don't need to worry about it. It's going to be absolutely fine. That minimizes how they feel. To them, it's huge. Let's not minimize it. I get yes. that it's this huge for you. Yes. And I get that. that so it's about meeting them at that space and not trying, not getting tempted into the, you know, why are you speaking to me like that? You shouldn't be so angry. What have you got to be worried about? Everything's fine. You should be so grateful that you have all of these wonderful things. That's not the time nor the space to deal with it. Absolutely. I so agree with you. And it's very interesting what you're saying. And I, and so many things were coming up as you were speaking then, because I'd spoke today, also actually interviewed somebody else today who is a remarkable woman who is campaigning against violence, um, especially violence against children, so domestic violence against children. And it was fascinating hearing almost the other side, the complete opposite of that occurring and the ramifications of that in hers and other people's lives. And I think that often we think that trauma only occurs when tragic, horrible things happen. And I and I want to say that, and again, I, there's no blame here. I'm not saying that parents are responsible for traumatising their children. I'm not saying that, not by any means. But trauma can result from the minute, from the small responses like you explained then about somebody who just, if you are unable to, to experience validation or unable to be seen, and there's often really good reasons for that why parents are unable to. So again, I say there's no blame here. But but if that occurs, the results are far reaching. And I certainly that's my experience. So I had very loving parents, but also parents who had their own things going on. And as a result, I experienced quite sustained early life trauma. And it's fascinating that it's a very slippery thing then because it's not one big thing. It's not, and I'm not saying a big thing is better. It's not, but I'm just saying that sometimes it's very hard to define or, or even understand some some kinds of trauma that have occurred in that sort of long-term, little by little, you know, paved with good intentions kind of way. And, and that's a really... Um, dangerous situation for human beings to to not be seen heard to not feel like they can be themselves you know that's exactly yeah and there is some human need yes yeah totally and there is there's been so much more recent sort of research and recent work that has shown that you know what we've typically thought of as trauma as being these this one huge event that it's all to do goes back to that seesaw it's how that individual perceives that situation to a child um losing a best friend Mm -hmm. in terms of that best friend not not losing them from a bereavement, but losing them because they've decided to play with, to be somebody else's best friend can be traumatic for them and can be the trauma, which is why it's so important in those moments where our children are responding from a place of fight or flight and fear that we reduce that fear. We let them know that they're safe. We validate 
all emotions are valid. We might not want to feel certain emotions, but they're all valid. Validating that, letting our children know that we're there and that they're safe and when they're ready to talk, we can talk. And not, you know, I often say that when those big emotions get too big for us, remove yourself, not the child. Mm, Take yourself off to go and make a cup of tea. Move yourself out of the room. But when you move the child, you are inadvertently saying how you're feeling isn't valid or good and I'm removing you know, go to your room that's not ideal yes Remove it's a rejection to another room hmm. it is yeah and it's interesting because there's a lot going on for children as well physiologically you know I so I know there, there are moments during the developmental stages of children that I've observed I've got three children and other people's children as well where there's you know hormonal massive shifts in hormones big developments can happen Mentally, emotionally, physiologically, and it's kind of invisible. So you might, you know, you have this child who suddenly is different. And I think there's that temptation for a lot of us, and I count myself in this at times too, to fix or to, you know, remedy it in some way rather than accept it. And that's difficult, you know, because you kind of got to accept it if you think about it. Like they can't change it and... I know my daughter actually said to me in the midst of all this today, she was having some big feelings. And at one point I said, you know, I'm starting to feel a bit upset because some of the things you're saying to me and the way you're saying them to me are a bit upsetting. And I said, I'm not blaming you, but I'm I'm reaching a limit, you know. And it was interesting. She said, but I can't help it, mum. So she knows that this stuff, she has no control over it. It was a very poignant moment, you know, I felt for her. She knows that this stuff is beyond her control and uh, there's a lot beyond people's control at the moment in the world and children are hearing all that, you know. And I think we have to remember that our children are growing up in an era of information that we just simply did not have available to us. So they are, their understanding of the world, their understanding that bad things happen and it comes or comes to them much earlier. And whilst we can do all that we can to protect them and try and nourish and, and keep them in that feeling of safety, mm. it's so much more difficult than when we when we were younger, where we didn't have this. And it's not that I'm anti-technology mm. and anti-social media, but it's an understanding that is pervasive with our children. They are exposed to so much that they have to process at a time where they're not able to necessarily see it all. And so that that will naturally create an element of fear um, and worry and yes. questioning. They have yes. so many questions. Yes. It's so interesting talking to you, Marianne. I think one of the reasons we're friends, and here's a funny thing. So Marianne and I have never actually met. Um, not in person, I don't believe. Have we? No. I don't even remember how we connected, but in somehow, somehow or other, when we both lived in Bath, are you still in Bath? No, I'm in um, sort of Hampshire now, completely different area. Beautiful, England. And um, we never actually met, but we lived in the same area and somehow we crossed paths. And uh, I started the Mums in Bath group when I was in Bath, which is now, I don't know, it's got like 7,000 people in it or something. It's huge, apparently. And um, when I left, I think it had about 3,000. So it grew. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience creating this community. And I think what we've realised over the years from chatting and just connecting and emailing and all the different ways we've connected (laughs) is that the thing we have in common, and I I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but the way I understand it is, is that we both 
would like to, I don't even know the words, but we both would very much like for, for children in the future and moving forward to feel safe and to help to minimise the amount of trauma that occurs for children. That's, that's one of my big whys. And it's weird because I don't work directly with children. I work with parents. I work with mothers specifically. And my one of my whys, I went into a big process of trying to work out what is it I'm trying to do here so that I could do it better, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of my huge driving forces is I really feel like the way that we're walking into the future now is really important on a lot of levels. One level, there's a hell of a lot of us on the planet now and uh, we're at an interesting time where we can communicate more than ever before and I feel like that's very, very important and our sort of humanity level is really important. Otherwise, all the divisiveness and polarities will become destructive and dangerous. You know, I really am a Mm. big believer. I'm a product of refugee grandparents. I'm a big believer in understanding, not just tolerance, but real genuine acceptance and understanding of difference. So that's one big thing for me is that we have this opportunity now to understand each other in a way that we never have before. That's one. The other part of this is that we have a planet that we are the custodians of, that we have become the custodians of just by sheer number. There's so many of us. And if we look Mm. at Indigenous cultures around the world, Aboriginal cultures here in Australia, of which there are many, there's a very big emphasis in most ancient cultures, actually, uh, on being caretakers of the natural Mm. world and of working in line with the natural world. It's part of who we are. In fact, we are part of the natural world, even though we no longer live in the jungle, we live in the garden, which is what, you know... um, that Charles Darwin talked about. But but it's just a very interesting time for us to actually think about how we connect with each other and how we connect in our environment. And for me, that comes down to how we raise our children and how we give them that understanding. And there's there's a great guy actually in, in the UK called, um, I always forget his name for some reason, I think it's Mac McCartney, something. He started something called Embercombe. But he took an idea that's a Native American idea, um, which he was asked to share on a wider level. And he took it to corporate UK and corporate world all over the world. And he also created a community in Devon um, based on the idea that every decision we make, every decision leaders make needs to be made in consideration of the seven generations that will follow us. And it's a beautiful, it's called the children's fire. We need to imagine that we're sitting around a fire with the next seven generations. So it's a wonderful way to look at things that, and I think this is something you and I share, is that the way that mm. our future transpires, the way that it occurs, is greatly determined by how we are as parents. So it's a it, it's a massive thing, but it also comes down to, as you're we saying, these tiny little things, these tiny little yeah. bits and pieces as we learn them. And that's what your podcast is about, how not to screw up your kids. And it's a little bit what my podcast is about is how can, because I believe that mothers are so key to this yeah. because we we bear, you know, we bear the children and we often are the ones that, that are with them when they're very young, not always. And that just means that we have this really incredible role and also incredible opportunity. So if we can heal ourselves and support each other in this way, the way that you do, the way that I do, it's extremely powerful, not just for ourselves, for our kids, but for a different future. Yeah. It sounds very grandiose, but I actually don't think it is. I, th- I think it's about day by day, step by step, little by little. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it is and it's that it's it's recognizing that there's two parts quite often as as parents and as mothers, we become once we have our children, we switch the emphasis. It's all about our children. But I think that's when we need to step up the emphasis on us because it all starts with us. There's a um, there was a, a book that I've read recently, which which has that phrase, you know, self-care is childcare. If we oh, yeah. don't take care of ourselves, we cannot take care of our children we need to lose that stigma that it's selfish that it's self-absorbed you know that that's not the right way to have the emphasis but we are so pivotal in so many things and as women we typically whether we are career women as well Mm. as being mothers we still take on the lion's share of that and that's not being derisory to fathers in any way. Oh, no. But it's that's just, just the reality. Been, mm, yeah. Absolutely. And it's it's kind of how we're made. I mean, we physiologically bear children. We have a different kind of – it's different. Yeah. And and I just think we also experience matrescence, you know, which is this incredible shift on every level, which I talk about a lot because I really want people to understand this, that, you know, the matrescence is the, is the kind of evolution of a person – and at no other time of our lives except adolescence do we experience such a massive transformation on so many levels. And yeah. not only is that very destabilizing to who you are, it's also an incredible opportunity to reinvent. And that's the kind of the magic space that I work in with a lot of women is, is that we have this incredible opportunity to redefine who we are personally, in the world, in our families. And it's such a wonderful opportunity that often becomes overwhelming, difficult, too many challenges, not enough support, you know, and it can get lost. And I just feel like it's such an incredible little genuine seed of change that we, when we have the right support in community by seeking help from practitioners like you or coaches like me, we we can actually nurture ourselves and emerge through motherhood I talk about emerging through motherhood because I feel like and I that's my words but I just feel like that's what we do we emerge there's a different there's a different part of us that emerges yeah and I I think that that it's it's seeing the opportunities that abound all all over and I I think you know you know what's happened with COVID has probably been well not probably has been phenomenally challenging mm. um, out, you know for everybody it's affected everybody and yet I being the proverbial optimist for me it's been a great opportunity to reflect on having had this period of confinement for so many all over the world in some shape or capacity we have had yes. a a pause button being placed on how we would typically live our lives yes. what a phenomenal opportunity to reassess and reevaluate what matters I what know. do we really want to how do we want to emerge I agree from our confinements and our lockdowns and, and how do we want to live our lives totally agree with you I'm one of those weird people that everyone says talking about going back to normal I'm like can we please go to a new normal because I don't want to go back to that and no. Actually, I'm curious to ask you, what, what would be your three, the three things you've taken out of the COVID lockdowns and the COVID experience into your life? I think for me is people, my friends and who I spend time with. I've, I have reconnected with so many people from my life during COVID through Zoom. I've not had to worry about, oh, well, when, when are you going to be around? So people matter people, people, people. Um, the other one is that no is a full sentence. 
to I'm saying no to so much more? Is that what actually matters? No, thank you. I'm so flattered that you thought of me, but no. Well, thank you for doing (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 no. (laughs) You would never get a no. But I think it has been, it's been people, it's been no, and it's been about space. Making sure that I then create space. That's what I was going to say the no does. That's the result of the no, isn't it, in a lot of ways. And I'm the same, exact same three for me. Very interesting. Oh and it's, yeah, it's really exact same three. And the, and the only other thing that's been playing, because we're not out of lockdown, right? So we, we're still in um, mm. our second but kind of more severe. And it's been a surreal space. But one thing that has been really like tugging at my coattails is joy. How can I bring more joy in? Because it just things can get heavy and big and difficult and emotional and, you know, not that emotional is bad, but, but just, you know, some, there can be some tricky emotions that have been occurring through this lockdown. And we had two-week proper isolation as well, and that was a really interesting couple of weeks. But it's just I feel like it's easy to let joy slip through the cracks when everything else feels more important. But actually, I just want to dance around the living room to loud music more. I want to have parties with the people I love. I want to, you know, it's just the fun stuff. And and I feel way more driven to do the work I'm doing as well. I feel like it's just more needed than ever, this stuff that you and I are collectively doing. And to really collectively come together on this stuff, not just one person here, one person there, but, but the way that we connect and network and listen to each other's stories and tell each other stories it's just so important at the moment yeah definitely and I think women as women we we thrive in communities yes we th- thrive in communities of like-minded um we need to find our tribes and we need to move forward collectively with people who think similarly to us yes and I think really that connection important. is absolutely key Yes, it's really important, isn't it? I've been feeling that too. How fascinating. So we're having some similar little, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of, it's funny having someone over there through the screen that is no longer in lockdown with me about to come out of it. And I wanted to ask you just for my Australian listeners, if you could give us a couple of insightful tips from your experience in supporting our children as we come out of lockdown, if they're feeling anxious, what would you say? I think the first thing that I would say is don't make any assumptions that your child is going to be as they were before. Certainly what we found here in the UK and from my experiences in terms of as a practitioner and working with families is that for a lot of children, they are feeling wobbly. So we've had a lot of children who would ordinarily be skipping and jumping in schools have now been a little bit wobbly about that. And that's okay. So it's definitely don't make any assumptions. Um, And so begin to have conversations with them. Talk to them now about what life is going to look like. What are they nervous about? What are they feeling a bit apprehensive about? So having that, I think so, so often we think, that if we start introducing words about worrying and feeling anxious, depending on their age, which language you, yes. language you use, we often feel that if we introduce that, we're somehow going to create a worry that wasn't there before. Yeah. But I think what we do in, instead is just validate that stuff that's going on in their body, that racing heart that might happen now suddenly when they're doing something they've always done, or that sort of those butterflies in the tummy that they feel. 
about things is just saying that it's going to be really normal we haven't there's so many things that we have not done Mm. that we used to do and take for granted and it's okay to feel a bit nervous about it how and then start problem solving how might we how might we go about making you feel a little bit braver in those moments how could I help what could you do what can we do together and I often find with children a bit of role play can be quite good fun Mm, but that's great both ways yes so you be the child as well as your child being the adult reversing roles yes that's a really good idea and what I love too is another thing I would add to that certainly my daughter is one of those children that I might ask those questions and she might cut me off and say I don't want to talk about it mummy and that's okay and often she'll come back to me later and say I was thinking about what you asked me before so it's like everything in their own time let them have their feeling even in that moment even when you bring it up you know and yeah absolutely and it and in lots of ways it's just it's that assumptive you know I don't know about you but I'm feeling wobbly about going back and doing things so Mm -hmm. I definitely think it's validating that but I also think it's a real opportunity as a family to sit down and say what are the things that we loved about how our life was before we had lockdown and what are the things that actually now we might want to do less of we've got an opportunity to say no we don't want to do those things anymore whether those are obligations all of those shoulds that we tell ourselves now is an opportunity to say do you know what we've had this time at home we've had this connection time and we don't want to go back to doing those things anymore I think that's really wonderful advice. Thank you so much. Great perspective and something that I'm sure the people listening to this podcast will appreciate at this time. I'll be looking forward to sharing it. And I'm a little bit conscious of time. We've been nattering on for a while and I'm, <laughs> I'm so, I could talk to you for hours as usual. <laughs> Me too. Um, but is there anything else you would like to add about what you're doing or where people can find you perhaps? Well, I think if, if you um, want to listen to my podcast, it, the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids um, podcast, there's lots of really useful things for anything, whether it comes, whether it's the practical side of parenting, like managing sibling conflict and, and helping children with their confidence to some of the more um, sort of, I, I guess, meatier discussions with the latest podcast episode is about discrimination and black lives matters um, and how do we have those conversations with our children so it's the whole sort of spectrum of that um, that's probably a great place to start and then if you want more follow me on my social media so it's dr mary Han. very nice that's d-r-m-a-r-y-h-a-n is that correct that is okay very good and Marianne I just want to say from the bottom of my heart and the top of my heart as well thank you so much it's been a very all over heart experience talking to you I've loved it oh I've loved it too Elena it's been amazing thank you so much for having me thank you Marianne